as we turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 27 to 44. Matthew 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered a whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on his head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. When, we, when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which reads, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You guys may be seated. Why don't you all pray with me one more time. Father, I want to ask you to speak to us this morning. Lord, I do ask of you to really fill this room with your presence and speak the words that we need so desperately to hear in our lives. Lord, we do confess that a lot of times our lives are so mundane, so dry, because it's been so long since we drank deep from your word. We do ask that you will help us to drink today from the holy scriptures, the living word of God. And as we do so, we ask and pray that you will awaken us to live a life that is pleasing to you, that brings you glory that brings you honor. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you guys are taking notes, title of today's message is called King of Mockery or King of Glory. King of Mockery or King of Glory. Friends, have you ever been mocked before in your life? Have you ever been a victim of insults, teasing, taunting, or ridiculing? Have you ever been made fun of by others as they highlight unflattering characteristics about yourselves that you do not desire to be noticed? Uh, Growing up, I recall receiving a fair share of insults and mockery or variations of that. And um, I hate to make a fool of myself, but for the sake of the passage and the sermon, I want to share a few. Um, Ever since I was born... I was made fun of because my head 
was proportionally bigger or larger than my body. So I used to always remember as a kid, whenever I look at the pictures, I would always wear a button-up shirt rather than a t-shirt. And it wasn't until recently when I found out that the main reason why I was always wearing a button-up than a t-shirt was not because I wanted to be uh, well-dressed, was, but was because I couldn't fit through any of the holes in the t-shirt. Um, my head was way too big for t-shirts, so I could only wear button-ups. And if that wasn't bad enough, ever since I entered kindergarten, I was always one of the shortest kids at school. I don't know why, but they always associated being short with being bad at sports, which is not true, but I would always get picked last whenever we play any sports. So picture with me here, one of the shortest kids with one of the biggest heads. And to make matters worse, I started wearing glasses when I was in second grade. And not just any glasses, glasses with those metal retainers so I don't lose them. Now, I guess nowadays some people wear them as like vintage fashion, but back in the day it wasn't cool. There was no one else wearing those except myself. Uh, if that wasn't bad enough, this is painful, but let me share one more. After moving to the States in third grade, I didn't speak any English. And my parents thought it was an awesome idea to send me to school right away. Not only that, they decided that it was a great idea to spell my name with a K instead of a G. And to make matters worse, the reason why they spelled my name with five letters with way too many vowels instead of just maybe K-U-N or K-U-H-N is because my sister's name had five letters. That makes no sense, but because of this, I always dreaded the first day of class and for the remainder of my elementary and middle school years, since no one knew how to pronounce my name, everyone just called me Cone. My name was Cone all the way until end of middle school. And because my English was lacking, one time during gym class, when the teacher told the class to run around the cone, I was very confused because I had no idea that he was referring to the orange cones that we were supposed to run around. But instead, I thought that he was telling everyone to run around me. Okay, I'll stop here because it just gets worse and worse, and we need to get to the passage. But being made fun of, being mocked, being teased, regardless of what degree it hurts, it's not fun, especially if you're on the receiving end of it. And in today's passage, we see an extreme case of mockery as everyone chimes in to mock Jesus from all different angles. And it's not because Jesus' head was too big. It's not because he was too short or they couldn't speak English, but it's because he was the king of the Jews. It's because he was the son of God, the king of Israel, the long-awaited Messiah. We see from the Roman soldiers to those who were passing by, to the Jewish leaders and even the robbers who were crucified next to Jesus, they all took a shot at Jesus Christ. You see, ever since Jesus first predicted his death back in chapter 16, we have been on this journey. Matthew has been carrying us on this journey in following Jesus on his way to the cross. And little by little, we have been coming a little closer, closer, and closer to the foot of the cross. And in chapter 26, previous chapter, we saw both Judas' betrayal as well as Peter's denial. 
And then we saw Jesus in these two wicked trials, once with the Jewish leaders and once with Pontius Pilate, in which the crowd chose Barabbas over Jesus himself. And in today's passage, we see Jesus finally nailed to the cross. However, unlike Mel Gibson's movie, Passion of the Christ, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie, very gory, very gruesome, unlike Mel Gibson, Matthew, he doesn't focus on the physical aspect of the crucifixion. Right? As you read the passage today, there's no blood, nothing gory, no details regarding the physical aspect of the crucifixion because Matthew gives emphasis more on the paradoxical aspect. More than the physically gruesome and brutal suffering that Jesus goes through, we see the brutal mockery that Jesus goes through on his way to the cross. What Matthew emphasizes was the mockery, the ridicule, the great insults that Jesus faced on top of all the physical suffering that he had to go through. Then how was Jesus ridiculed? What kind of mockery that does Jesus go through? First, immediately after Jesus is scourged, meaning right after Jesus was tied to a post and repeatedly flogged with a whip that tore through his skin, tendons, and muscles, Jesus is met not with sympathy, not with compassion, but with mockery from the Roman soldiers. So first, let's look at king of mockery, mockery by the Roman soldiers. Mockery by the Roman soldiers. Look at me in verse 27. Now the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. It was not just one dude. It was a whole group of soldiers. And they stripped him naked and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they smashed on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, this is the king of the Jews. They spit on him. They took the reed and struck his head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him again to put his own clothes back on to lead him to the cross. Now, Roman soldiers were never fond of the Jews. They never liked Jews, as they would often play these cruel games with the prisoners. So here comes Jesus Christ, who claims to be the king of the Jews. So how do you think the soldiers have felt? They were probably so excited. They were so eager as they couldn't wait to mess and to play with just Jesus. We see an extreme case, perhaps the epitome of mockery on display as the Roman soldiers mockingly treat Jesus as king. We see them as they mockingly enthrone Jesus as king by putting on him a robe and crowning him as king and putting a scepter on his right hand and as, as that demonstrate legislative, judicial, as well as the administrative powers of the king. But we quickly realize that the robe was not some royal scarlet robe. It was just a red cape off of one of the soldiers' back. And the crown wasn't made with gold and diamonds, but it was made with thorns that would pierce through the skin. And the scepter was simply a reed that they would quickly take away to strike Jesus on the head. Friends, this action was actually the ultimate form of victory on the battlefield. Back in the day, as they would insult the king and defeat the enemy's nation, whenever they would overcome and they would win the battle, this is what they would do to their king, who's been defeated. 
And by doing so, the soldiers were exemplifying that the Jews got nothing on the Romans. The Jews have lost. They have no hope. They got their king. The one who was supposed to be the king of the Jews are now at the mercy of their hands. They even later on divide his garments as they gamble right under the cross by casting lots to see who gets to keep the clothes of the king of the Jews. Little did they know, though, little did they know Jesus was not at the mercy of their hands, but the fate of the entire universe was, in fact, at the hands of the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. If they remembered in the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 2, they should have known, rather than to strike him, rather than to mock him, they should have known to bow down, to kiss his feet, and take refuge in him. We see Psalm chapter 2, verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. But rather, rather than that, they were doing the exact opposite of how they were supposed to treat Jesus Christ. To the Roman soldiers, a king on a cross was a joke. To the Roman soldiers, a king who is nailed to the cross was a joke. If Jesus was truly the king of the Jews, how could he be so powerless? How could he be so weak? How could he not fight back? To them, the life of Jesus was a life totally wasted. A worthless life as they have failed to realize that the very ones that they were mocking... The very ones that they were hailing as the king was indeed the crucified king. You see, the Roman soldiers, that was just the beginning. The Roman soldiers weren't the only ones mocking Jesus. As people were passing by the crucifixion scene, also began to chime in on the mockery. So let's look at verse 39. Mockery by the ones passing by, or the passing ones. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, and and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the true Son of God, come down from the cross now. So who were these passing ones? Who were these ones who were passing by? You see, they were actually the ones who were shouting previously for Jesus to be crucified. They were in that trial with Pontius Pilate. They were the ones who chose Barabbas over Jesus Christ. They were the ones who were shouting, we want Jesus dead and crucified. So they were excited to see Jesus taken away, to be scourged. And on the way to Golgotha, they were following Jesus. And as Jesus is nailed on the cross, they were excited to see this scandalous spectacle. They were curious to see what's going to happen. So what's Jesus going to do now? Is he going to magically free himself using his superpowers and unleash havoc upon the Roman soldiers, tear down the Pilate's palace, and set up a kingdom of his own? Are we going to actually see Jesus now fight back? Or was Jesus a fluke? Because that's what it looks like, doesn't it? You see, they misunderstood what Jesus said regarding destroying the temple and thought, Jesus has to be a fluke. This temple is still standing tall. The, the Jerusalem temple is still standing tall. Yet the one who claims to be Jesus, uh, the claims to be king of the Jews, is still hanging on the cross. He's not fighting back. He's not saying a word. He's weak. He's powerless. There is no way this can be the Son of God. There's no way this dude can be the Messiah. 
You see, they even echo the temptation. If you recall, immediately after Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 4, he is led to the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan himself. And that's what Satan says in chapter 4, verse 3. And the tempter came to, said, came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, then you've got to command these stones to become loaves of bread. The ones passing by are doing the same thing. If you really are the Son of God, then come down now. Jesus, if you are really who you say you are, then show us. Entertain us. Prove to us that you are the Son of God. However, they are mentioned as the passing ones. Those who passed by because they feel no need to wait until the end because the show seems to be over already. Right? It's like those sports fans who are heading out for the exit doors way before the game is over because in their minds they know that the game is already over. For those who passed by, they shake their heads at Jesus because to them, the Son of God on a cross is unimaginable. They don't see the height of power and glory. To them, all they see is the height of wickedness, height of weakness, height of powerlessness, and just pure humiliation as Jesus is naked and crucified on the cross. And to make matters worse, we then see the Jewish leaders joining in on the mockery party. The Jewish leaders. Verse 41 says, See, uh, so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and then we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God, didn't he? See, we see the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, and they're repeating a similar taunt. Similar insults at Jesus as they call him the king of Israel. They're saying, how can, you how can you not save yourself? You saved so many people, didn't you? You healed so many people, but you can't even save yourself. They also mimic what the devil said in the desert. Only if you come down from the cross, I'll believe you. You call yourself the son of God, and you trust in God. So have him deliver you. He loves you, doesn't he? So why isn't he showing up to save you now? Friends, through all this mockery, through all this insult, through all this humiliation, I believe it reveals to us just how blind the wicked are. So blind to their sins that they don't know what they're doing. That's what sin does to us, doesn't it? So blind to their own selfish desires, their own goals, their own purpose, that what to do during the process to get what they want doesn't really matter as much. We have a goal in mind, and for us to pursue that and accomplish that goal, it doesn't really matter what kind of rules we break. Sure, we can cut some corners here and there. Sure, we can break the law or bend the law, we think. As long as we get what we want, we're good. See, sin, sin has this power to blind us from the truth. They are so convincing, convinced, convincing. As long as we get what we want, as long as we get to fulfill our own sinful desires, nothing else matters, does it? And that's exactly what's happening to these Roman soldiers. 
to the ones passing by, and even to the Jewish leaders themselves, who are supposed to be the ones leading others and pointing others to the cross. Sin blinds them, thinking they're doing the right thing by getting rid of the only one who can point out just how desperately in need they are of Jesus Christ. And to top it off, the ones who were crucified next to Jesus, the, 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 the robbers, despite all the pain that they're going through, right? They're already nailed on the cross. They're already, about to, they're already dying. Despite all of that, they had enough energy. They were able to think, and they had, all the, they had enough energy to join in on the mockery as they also reviled Jesus in the same way. In verse 38, it says, Then the two robbers were crucified with Jesus, one on the right, one on the left. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled and reviled at him in the same way. You see, these two robbers were most likely part of Barabbas' gang. They were guilty of murder and insurrection against the Roman government. And but, but rather than focusing on their own sin, rather than focusing on their own pain as the nail is ripping through their skin, they turned their attention to Jesus Christ, not to claim him as their savior, but so that they can mock him and join in on the insult. Friends, from the, from the surface, it seems as though Jesus is looking more like the king of mockery than the king of glory, as he is getting it from all angles, from the soldiers, from the passing ones, the Jewish leaders and the robbers. But despite all the mockery, what's fascinating is how Jesus remains silent. There's nowhere in today's passage where Jesus cries out in pain. There is no record of Jesus praying to God in anguish. There is no record of Jesus fighting back. He remains silent. And it's not because he couldn't think of a good comeback. It's not because he was powerless to fight back. But because Jesus fully understood and realized that even the most brutal mockery was part of the suffering that he had to go through. Despite all the physical pain, Jesus remains silent. Despite all the brutal mockery, insult, and false accusations, Jesus remains silent. Because although everyone was mocking Jesus, ironically, they were indeed acknowledging that Jesus indeed is the King. Right? If you look very closely in today's passage, although it's very ironic, although they were mocking Jesus, in fact, even through the mockery itself, they were in fact acknowledging that Jesus is the King of Israel, that He is the Son of God, that He is the King of glory rather than the King of mockery. So let's look at that. Second, King of glory. King of glory. If you look very closely, despite the mockery, Jesus is actually being hailed and enthroned with the messianic titles from the very lips of the ones who are mocking him. For example, going back to the mockery of the Roman soldiers, it's fascinating how despite all the insults, they bow down before him and crown him and shout, Hail, the king of the Jews. Sure, they were doing it with the intention of mocking him and insulting him, but at the end of the day, they're still bowing down before the king. And then with the ones passing by, they testify without even knowing. They testify that Jesus is the Son of God. And the Jewish leaders who refuse to accept the fact that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, they mockingly profess that Jesus is the King of Israel. 
They were all blind. But without even knowing, they were still professing that Jesus is king. Although they all have failed to see the reason behind why Jesus had to go to the cross and had to stay nailed to the cross, for Jesus, it didn't matter. For Jesus, it doesn't matter if they're mocking him, it doesn't matter if they're insulting him, as long as they are giving him glory. Without even them knowing, that's all that matters. What mattered the most for, the, for Jesus was the fact that he was simply obedient to the will of God. And despite the mockery, despite the insult, the irony of it all is how everything was going according to God's perfect plan. Everything was going according to God's perfect, sovereign plan. And how even through the mockery, the very lips of the mockers and scoffers were glorifying Jesus Christ. Even the charge of Jesus that was nailed above his head that says, King of the Jew, paradoxically shows the way to victory. On Golgotha that day, everyone looked up on the cross and hailed to the King of the Jews. Friends, if you've ever studied religion, in the religion called Islam, they have their own set of books called the Quran. If you've ever read it, in Quran, it teaches that it is inappropriate that a major prophet like Jesus, major prophet of God, should come to such an humiliating end. A prophet should never be humiliated publicly. And because of this, in the Quran, they record that Jesus didn't die on the cross. They record that Jesus didn't die, but in fact, Allah took Jesus up to himself and saved him from the shame and the humiliation of the crucifixion, meaning Jesus didn't die on the cross. Now, friends, if this was indeed true, if we believe in this, then we would all be in trouble because then no one else would have atoned for our sins. If Jesus didn't go through all the shame, the humiliation, the mockery, and the crucifixion on the cross, if he was rescued and saved from all of that, then, then we're doomed. Because who's died for our sins? Who paid for the penalty of our sins? But praise be to God because he wasn't saved from the shame of crucifixion. Praise be to God because he wasn't saved from the humiliation and the mockery as Jesus' faith all the shame and guilt of our sin once and for all on the cross. God kept Jesus in the cesspool of sin on the cross to say, now here is a Savior for sinners. Here is the God-man sent to save godless men from their sins. Here is the real Messiah who doesn't shy away from shame, who doesn't shy away from humiliation and mockery, but the one who is sympathetic to our weaknesses. Here's the man who knew no sin, being made to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 What people saw on that day was perhaps the most humiliating, the most shameful, and the most offensive end to the life of Jesus. As they could conclude, what a life wasted. What a life wasted. But what God saw on that day was perhaps the most glorious picture as he would conclude a life well lived. Well done, my good and faithful son. 
Jesus stayed nailed to the cross, not because he was weak, not because he was powerless, but because he loved us. Let me say this again. Jesus didn't stay nailed to the cross because he was powerless. It, was the, it wasn't the nail that was holding him on the cross. It was actually his love for God. And it was love for people that kept him on the cross. The very ones that nailed him to the cross for their sins, for their ignorance, for their wickedness. Jesus remained on the cross. It was because Jesus was truly the Son of God, the King of the Jews, the King of Israel, that he could not come down. For he had to stay on the cross, bearing all our shame and guilt, bearing all our sin, so that he can receive the glory. And in Christ's submission, in Christ's obedience on the cross, God seems to have already given him the glory that he has prepared for him, as people who revile him, people who mock him, are unknowingly confessing and glorifying the Son of God. So then the question we've got to ask ourselves is, what does this mean for us? What are we to do with Jesus who is mocked and crucified? What are we to do with Jesus who seems to be the king of mockery? Just some practical life applications. Number one, I believe we need to acknowledge We need to acknowledge that Jesus is not the king of mockery, but indeed the king of glory. The one who deserves not our part-time worship, not our half-hearted devotion, not our leftovers, but with every faculty of our being, we have to acknowledge that he deserves all of our glory. Friends, do you acknowledge in your life that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you acknowledge that he is our our Messiah, that he is our only hope for salvation, do you acknowledge what he has done for you on the cross? Because as we acknowledge him as our Savior and our Lord, then automatically it should lead us to thankfulness. So first, acknowledge, and second, thank. Second, we thank him for who he is and what he has done for us. Friends, If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, none of us would be here right now. There is no reason for any of us, I'm sorry to say, to be here, to live. No hope, no purpose. He gave us everything. We see in chapter 20, verse 28, He gave His life as a ransom for our sins, for many We are so thankful to those who we selfishly benefit from, aren't we? That's not really being thankful, though. You're just using using them to get what you want. We are thankful for people who help us with our homework, right? Oh, let me share. Can you share with me some of your notes from the class? I forgot to go. I I missed it. I overslept. We are thankful for those who give us rides. Thankful to those who cook for us. In fact, nowadays, if I can be a little bit more offensive, we live in this entitlement generation where we're not even thankful because we feel as though we deserve it all. Jesus died on the cross? I deserve that. I deserve a second chance. I deserve a better life. Friends, how wicked are we to think that we deserve this life? How wicked are we to think 
that we do not need to thank our Savior, Jesus Christ, the very one who died on our behalf so we can have life eternal. How wicked are we to think anything else and everyone else except the one who deserves ultimate thankfulness. Friends, may we make every excuse. May we take every opportunity to thank Jesus a little bit more each day. May we be overflowing with thankfulness. We cannot help but to be thankful for what Jesus has done. Pastor God, I have nothing to be thankful for. Maybe I, would, I can encourage you to keep a journal and try to challenge yourself. Ten things to be thankful for. Because I think many of us are so blind to what God has given us already. Thinking that we earned it. Thinking that we deserve it. And in reality, the only thing that we deserve is hell. The only thing that we deserve is condemnation. Let's thank God for everything, even for the sufferings in life. Yes, even for the hardships, even for the difficult times. Let's thank God for that because as we go through those times, he reminds us that he will never leave us or forsake us. As we go through those sufferings, he reminds us that he's actually helping us, sanctifying us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the goal of Christian life, isn't it? To become more and more like Jesus Christ every day. Ask yourselves, are you a little bit more like Jesus Christ today than you were yesterday? Are you a little bit more like Jesus Christ this year than you were last year? Are you progressing in the likeness of Christ or are you digressing? Which leads us to our last point. We acknowledge Christ, we thank Christ, and lastly, we ought to imitate Christ. As our hearts are filled with thankfulness, we do our best to imitate Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying we should grow a beard and wear these long, flowing robes, but imitate his character. Imitate his heart. Imitate his love. Friends, who do you reach out to when you are faced with sufferings and hardships in life? in the forms of humiliation, insults, and mockery, how do you react? How do you overcome those times when people humiliate you or insult you? As Jesus, just as Jesus is faced with mockery, ridicule, and contempt on his way to the cross, I believe he's exemplifying for us that we should expect the same when we decide to pick up the cross. Pastor God, I didn't do anything wrong. This person is humiliating me, insulting me. He deserves to be punished. Look at Jesus Christ. Friends, what we need to understand is that this journey as a follower of Christ, if you have committed your life to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this journey is not a journey of health and wealth. It is not a journey. We, have to stop, we need to stop lying to ourselves, thinking that as long as we believe in Jesus Christ, he's going to bless us with more. He's going to bless us with more jobs, a better job, more money, better life circumstances. That is, I'm sorry to say, BS. That is not true. If you're truly a follower of Christ, who acknowledge Christ as Lord, who is overflowing with thankfulness, then you would want to do everything in your power to imitate Christ in every way possible. And I believe one way to do that is to be selfless rather than to be selfish. 
meaning it's a journey of self-denial and Christ-dependency. Christian journey is a journey of self-denial and Christ-dependency. As we say no to our selfish desires, we say yes to Christ. We cannot say yes to ourselves and yes to Jesus. We have to learn how to deny ourselves. It is our selfishness and our pride that gets in the way of Jesus receiving the glory that he deserves. So friends, the next time we face persecution, next time we face rejection, humiliation, insults, mockery, may we imitate Christ. May we thank God for another opportunity he's giving us to imitate Christ. As we are slow to anger and quick to forgive. Focusing more on combating mockery, not with evil, not with a fist, not with violence, not with wickedness, but with selflessness. It's this concept of facing the cross now with the crown that's coming later. Crucifixion before the resurrection. Suffering before the glory. I pray that we as a church will encourage each other. Not mock each other, not insult each other, but encourage each other. Help each other acknowledge the truth of who Jesus is so that we can overflow with thankfulness. Are you thankful? which leads us to becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day. I pray that we will love Jesus more and we will look more like Jesus tomorrow more than we are today. That we will be more thankful today than we were yesterday. And we will continue to grow in our thankfulness and our likeness of Christ until we see Jesus face to face. Let's pray together.